the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. I don't know whether you picked up, there's a project that's been going on called Talking Jesus. Uh, and it's a project, a research project, that's been run by the Evangelical Alliance and Hope UK and uh, I think it's King's Church over in uh, Peterborough and a few other churches and Alpha as well, doing some research about what people think about Christians and how we as Christians can engage in talking about Jesus. Uh, They did some research in 2015 and in 2022 they revisited that work. And uh, it's an amazing piece of work actually. You can download the report from uh, the Talking Jesus website see on there, talkingjesus.org, if you want to see the whole detail. The headlines. Headlines. One in two people in the UK know a practicing Christian. Know a practicing Christian. Which is, I think, amazing. Uh, and people who, from the survey, about one in, uh, about 6%, one in 16 people in the UK identify as practicing Christians. So one in two people know a practicing Christian. And even more amazing, one in three of those people, after a conversation with that Christian, would like to learn a bit more about Jesus. Well, on the assumption that you're all practicing Christians here, one in three of your friends, if you've spoken about Christ, would like to know a bit more. That's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Think about how reluctant we are to say something to people. One in three of your friends would like to know a bit more if you've spoken about Jesus. I think that's a great start to think about mission and going and sharing the good news. Now, that's a luxury in many ways in our country, and it doesn't mean it's all sorted, because within our own country, there's another half of the population need to meet a practicing Christian and hear the good news. But I wonder, have you ever thought how we got there? How we got to that many people knowing about Jesus, to asking about Jesus? We could rewind through history, couldn't we? We could go through... The, uh, the British and UK English history, and we could see the story that is interwoven with politics and reformation and land and money and government and all those sort of things. We go back to St. Augustine, often seen as the point at which Christianity started in England. Um, but actually, it started before that. Um, uh, we could go back to the Celts and that group of people on the west of the country who had, were influenced by uh, France uh, and look at their Um, experience of Christianity. We could go even further back. We could go back to Roman times. The Roman influence was here in England at the time of Jesus. A Roman settlement was here in Exeter on that ridge of land where the high road is, high street is. Yeah, in AD 55. That's roughly when they think a Roman settlement was here. That's about the time Paul was writing Galatians. Post to the people that, you know, whatever. That's amazing, isn't it? So the Roman Empire, and do you think that people might have actually, is it too far-fetched to think? Maybe that the guards were sitting around that campfire going, have you heard what happened to the guards in Judea? They killed this guy, he came back to to life. The army might well have been talking about that. News would have spread. We are here because news has spread. We are here able to share good news because news has spread. However it happened, we are beneficiaries of that line of communication from the apostles to us. And we are part of that, God's mission of pushing out and sharing his good news across the world. So we're going to think about 
Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to it, look it up on your phone. I haven't got a page number, I'm afraid, for church Bibles, but you've got a green Bible if you want it. Acts chapter 2 and the first 13 verses. Let's read together and we're going to look at this in a little bit of detail. When the day of Pentecost came, they, that's the disciples, about 120 of them, were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't, these, aren't all these those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. They've had too much wine. What reaction to the gospel? They've had too much wine. Luke is packing a lot into this passage. He wants you to know a lot about what's going on. He's not telling us at Pentecost just because that's a date in your diary. He's reminding us of many, many things about Pentecost and what that means for his readers and what it means for us as we look at Old Testament history. So he tells us, firstly, Pentecost is a festival of first fruits. It's a celebration of harvest in the Old Testament. It's a celebration when people brought to God an offering of their first part of their harvest to say thank you for the harvest and in anticipation of much more to come. Yeah? So it wasn't a looking back, it's actually a looking forward. See, get a sense of what Luke might be saying? He's not just looking back to what Jesus has done, he's looking forward to what's coming. Yeah? And secondly, Pentecost traditionally became associated with the giving of the law. It's 50 days after Passover, and that was deemed to be about the time it took to get from crossing the Red Sea to camping at Mount Sinai and the law being given. And in the law being given, uh, in Exodus 19, you have this whole thing of God giving the law such that you might become a royal priest of a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Pentecost is when God's people get formed. The forming of the people of God. And Luke's going, Pentecost stands for this. It stands for, thank you for what you've done, we're looking for what you're going to do. It stands for becoming a people of God. Secondly, Pentecost is a reversal of something. In Genesis chapter 10, the people of the world came together to build a tower, the Tower of Babel, 
You may know the story. Uh, and they wanted to make a name for themselves and reach a tower to heaven. And God confused that work by dispersing the nations, by confusing their words, giving them different languages. So you can see the re reversal, can't you? You can see the reversal in Acts chapter 2. Firstly, many languages are understood, the message across many languages, all comes together. We hear it in our own language, the same message. And secondly, it's about the wonders of God. They are declaring to us that God is making a name for himself. You see how he's flipped up? Genesis 10, people making a name for themselves, and God confuses that with language. And now God is making a name for his, himself because of the work of Jesus. And many languages come together around the one person who is God. So Luke, that's just by way of context, but I think it's really important because that helps us understand what is going on in this dramatic story. Yeah? It's a really important context to what's happening here. We need to understand what Luke is saying to us before we get maybe sidetracked by the drama. Um, what he's saying is things are happening that are new, that are becoming a people, and it's about God's name. So what is actually happening in the passage? Let's have a look and see. The Spirit comes. The Spirit comes upon them. It's a promise that Jesus made. It's a gift that he said would come. And this powerful enlightening, communicating person comes upon them. And Peter, later on in chapter 2, stands up and talks about, makes explanation of it in a sermon. And he says, he refers back to Joel, uh, about the prophecy in the book of Joel in the Old Testament. And he says that God promises that he'll pour out, pour out his spirit on all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. The Old Testament prophecy. And Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, wait until this gift comes. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, I will send another one to you, the counsellor, who will teach you all things. So here comes the gift. Jesus sends the gift. It comes to people who are united in purpose. In Acts chapter 1, we read about verse 14, that they were gathered in prayer, regularly gathered in prayer, waiting, as Jesus had said. And it's a remarkable prayer meeting if you read about it, because probably in that culture, women didn't pray, and certainly they were segregated. But it's noted that women are praying with the disciples. It's a remarkable fellowship of unity, waiting for God to work. So they were waiting in unity for God to work, and, give, uh, and he came in that with a united purpose. And three things just want to draw out as he came. He came with power, verse 2, like the blowing of a mighty wind, bringing power to the people. He came to purify what seemed like tongues of fire. Fire in the Bible often a symbol of purity, of cleansing, of, of, of driving out evil and burning away the, the dross. Uh, and then he comes and proclaims as people speak in other tongues, he enables people to proclaim. The Spirit comes to empower, to purify, and to proclaim. All things Jesus told us in John 16 that he would do. He would come and teach, he would give us courage to stand, and he'd convict the world of sin. He'd speak good news to the world and say, come back to God. So the Spirit comes 
to a people who are united in purpose. That's the beginning of this work. And then secondly, the Spirit gives a universal message to share. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven were gathered. Now, it's easy to go, this is a message for all nations, which it actually is, but let's not forget that this actually does say God-fearing Jews from all nations were gathered. So you might think, oh, it's just for Jews then. But no, Jesus is using, his Spirit is using, this dispersed nation from the exile, from that period of suffering, they've gathered back, and then they hear this message, and they will go back and talk to their nations, not just to their Jewish neighbours, but to all neighbours. If you look in the Acts, Paul regularly goes first to the synagogues, and then beyond that, to the Gentiles. God is working through the Jewish people to bring good news to all people. It's a message that applies to all nations. It's beyond racial and ethnic uh, limitations. It is good news for the world. The map there shows you, effectively, the known world to that, those writers in uh, AD 30, AD 33. So from the east, where you have Elim, uh, Elam uh, and Mesopotamia, over to Rome in the west. Uh, in the north, you've got Cappadocia, uh, and in the south, you've got Egypt. And Luke is spinning around, going, all these places, all these places people have gathered, and we're going to send them back with this good news. It's a message for all, to be shared with all, and not just for our nation, for our people. It's a message we send on. So we're a united people, united in purpose, with a universal message. And thirdly, and I think this is why Luke made such a big thing about languages, it's an understandable message. It's a message understandable to all. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. One of the amazing things about the Christian message is actually how well it adapts across culture. Being a Christian doesn't imply a certain cultural background. Well, you know, we probably have a whole fear about imperialism and westernism about it, don't we? But it, it's not related to any particular culture. Being a Christian is an understandable need for every human being. We need to come and be reconciled with God. We need forgiveness. We need to join in with his work. Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, urging you, urging you to be reconciled with God. We all have the same need. So Luke focuses on languages to say the curse of our Genesis 10 is undone and we now have a for the glory of God, we speak one message. But he also focuses to say, this is going to all. This is going to all. We heard a couple of weeks ago from Barbara, at the back there, hi Barbara, uh, about Wycliffe, Bible translators. They bring God's word to people in their own language. So that they understand it in a heart language, in their mother tongue, in their natural cultural language. And it brings home the message in ways that you can't do in any other language. Most of these people who were here in Jerusalem probably spoke Greek. They understood each other. They could communicate. They weren't thinking, oh, we need a translator, because that was the language of the empire, Roman, you know, Greek and, and Latin, whatever. But when they hear it in their own languages, they were amazed. That's, that's the work of people like Wycliffe and others who just translate the Bible into that language. That's the purpose of translation work. Mission work, witnessing work, 
It's about sharing good news. It's not about persuading people. It's not about debate. It's about declaring the wonders of God. The universal, understandable message. In the Talking Jesus research I mentioned earlier, the point is made in the, in the further research that we all, if we know Jesus, have a story. And we can all share that story. And the question is, what's the reaction of those who hear? What will they say to the amazing things that they have seen and heard about? And there are two in this passage. Two, uh, one in the passage you see and one a bit later on. But two reactions. Some are amazed and want to know more. And some mock and turn away. And C.S. Lewis, uh, in his famous quote about the importance of Christianity, just brings that really, really clearly to us. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It's not possible to say, hmm, interesting. People are going to react, they're going to mock, or they're going to be amazed. So that's the call to mission, but why international mission? Well, as I said, we are the beneficiaries of international mission. The word goes out to the whole world. The fire is lit from 120 people in Jerusalem in AD 33 to billions in 2022. As the church has grown, as God has worked over decades, centuries, millennia, he has brought people to know and acknowledge the wonderful works of God. We, you, me, are a continuation of that work. We have the opportunity to step into that amazing work, that amazing privilege of serving God with this good news. Tom Wright, in his commentary, uh, Acts for Everyone, puts it like this, which gives a wonderful picture. The first day of Pentecost can no more be reduced to a theological formula than you can reduce a hurricane to a list of diagrams on a meteorologist's chart. It is important that someone somewhere is tracking the hurricane. But when it comes to Pentecost, it's far more important that we're out there in the wind, letting it sweep through our life, our hearts and our imagination, our powers of speech, and transform us from lifeless and listless believers into someone whose heart is on fire for God. Drawing us into that great work. So it's easy to talk about Acts 2, isn't that interesting? Speaking in tongues all the nations. I just love that picture of step into the hurricane of God's power and the work he wants to do and drive forward um, all that he's pushing forward with us to join in with his work. At Belmont, we often focus on the work of mission on our front lines, and that's great. Everyday places of ministry and mission. But we are also called to be workers across the world. Sometimes the nations have come to us. Sometimes the nations have come to us, and we heard three weeks ago from Helen and Friends International, and we have an opportunity to speak and serve with people who are here, but going back to their nations, a bit like the early Jerusalem story. Other times we go to the nations. Uh, we've got people who are working overseas. Um, Steve and Lydia working in Portugal, and... Uh, Judith and Eglon Harris in Mexico, and others we can, we can mention. I think they're probably on the slide. There we go, yep. Um, so, and others who are working there. So Stephanie on the right there works for France Mission uh, in Rennes, and uh, she's working with the church in Rennes, but also nationally 
helping people come to know Christ. All these people are part of this church. We are part of their churches, declaring the wonderful works of God. We can join with them in mission. We can join with them in prayer. We can join with them in interest. And we may think we don't hear much good news. But I was reading the notes from Paul uh, about France mission. And he was showing some amazing news about France. Over the last 70 years, the church has grown 11 times in size. So around about 70,000 in, in 1950, around about three quarters of a million now. That's amazing, isn't it? So, you know, if you do the numbers, okay, well, the population, you know, but how many people might know a practicing Christian now compared to what was before? How many people might ask about Jesus? And I'm sure Stephanie wouldn't want to take any credit for that personally herself. But, you know, that's the work of the church in France, which we are invited to partner with as we pray for Stephanie on prayer Thursdays and we support France mission together. We are missionaries together in this work. You may think I could never be somebody who goes overseas, but I've already named two people who are working here to support the mission overseas. And we get involved in mission overseas in all sorts of ways. Uh, I'm not as disciplined as my wife Claire is. Claire is much more disciplined and organized. Claire has a pattern of prayer for supporting missionary, which uh, we talked about it over lunchtime. She wouldn't want to say, I do this every single day, every week. But when she gets into this habit of prayer, this is how she does some prayer work for international mission. So you can pick up that microphone, Claire. So I asked Claire just to talk. Pardon? It will be working, yeah. I think so. Should be on. Yeah. Um, so I just asked Claire to tell us a little bit about where she started with this um, and what she does. So, yeah, the book's on there. So um, I've got this book, which many of you will have seen. Okay. Um, and uh, I just started using it, basically. Um, it's full of masses and masses of stuff, masses and masses of interesting facts and figures and stuff. Um, and you can choose any country you like and just pray about it. Um, it looks really daunting, but, but it really genuinely isn't, um, if you just have a go at it. Each country has a general introduction. Um, it tells you a bit about the country, which is quite interesting. Um, and then it talks you about people groups, the economy, politics, religion. And there's lots of themes that come through when you look at it about different countries. There's things about persecution. There's a lot of stuff about nominalism among Catholic um, countries that are predominantly just Catholic countries. There's lots of stuff about lack of leadership in Protestant and evangelical churches, not enough locals with good biblical knowledge. There's a lack of training. There's always stuff about Bible translation and about what's going on there. Um, and there's also stuff about unreached groups. So there's masses and masses to think about and pray about. And I've just found it really quite encouraging. So that's the book, and that's where you find help about it. Do you want to explain the postcard piece? Oh, that's it. This, this, this is a bit embarrassing. But basically, I, um, I go to my country, which at the moment is Indonesia, and I get a card, and I put a little sticker on it. And it just reminds me about the country, basically. So I've got a little Cardiff system, and I write it down. Um, so it's a little bit nerdy, but I can't like that. But it helps to extract out some key information, and you go back and look at it. Yeah. So how has how's that habit and praying for mission work across the world, how has that affected your mindset about mission and working with God in that mission? 
Uh, well, I just find it, it's a real challenge, really, because um, uh, it reminds me that I'm very privileged when I think about, you know, what the stuff that Barbara does. We have links with Wycliffe Bible translators. Um, so many people across the world don't have the Bible in their own language. And I'm really privileged because I can pick up my Bible. I've got lots of translations of the Bible. And I can really connect with that. And, and I, so I feel very privileged. And so it helps me to pray about that. Um, you know, we can gather here. We don't have to worry about persecution. And you read about all these people in all these other countries that can't do those things. Um, and so it just encourages me to pray for people and um, to just remember that I'm actually very privileged and not to take that for granted. Right. Thanks very much. If you want to have a browse through the book, then... There's another book that I've read called Prisoners of Geography. It's not by a Christian, but if you want to know about how um, geopolitics works at a very basic level, I would highly recommend it. It's really interesting, and it helps you to understand what's going on in the world. It helps you to understand what's going on with Russia at the moment, and all the stuff about China... Um, and uh, there's chapters on all different parts of the world, and it's really, really interesting, and I find it really helpful for prayer for that. But it's not been by a Christian. Great. I've got a lot to learn from Claire on practicing in prayer. I really enjoy joining in with the prayer. Thirsty that's what I found helpful, to pray for international mission. Claire is far more disciplined at the personal prayer for international mission than I am. Um, but in preparing this, I've been challenged myself to think about praying again for organisations. We're often tempted, aren't we, to think uh, that we are the centre of our own world. We see the news and it's all about UK. How about changing your news website to an international news website? How about just picking up news from a church in another country, rather than in this country, rather than following Premier Christian, follow a Christian, if there is a Christian agency, a news agency in another continent. Just think differently about what God might be doing over there. There are all sorts of things we can do to join in with God's universal mission to communicate to the world the good news. I wonder whether sometimes we're tempted to think that mission is all linked to development work in rural locations. Um, maybe we are reluctant to think it could be something different, but what about the cities of the world? 10, 20, 30 million people. How are they going to get to the point when one in two people might know a practicing Christian? Only if there are practicing Christians living amongst them. Will we go and live amongst them? Maybe we like Stephen and Lydia. They just they live in Portugal and they are amongst the people there. They're working for a church, but they're just very much part of the community. You may think, I, I could never go. I wonder whether this short series has just challenged you to think about going. Going in your mind, in prayer. Maybe going on your holiday time to visit a mission worker. How about using your vacation to visit a mission worker and see what their context is? And maybe you never know. God may just nudge you to be somebody who goes and lives somewhere else. To be the people who we might share good news through to speak about Jesus and the wonderful works that God has done in Jesus. Let's pray together for the work of God through his church here and across the world. We are recipients as well of missionaries in this country.